You're listening to Distilling Theology. I'm Blake. And I'm Justin. And this is a podcast pairing discussions of theology and distilled spirits. And dad jokes. Amen. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) You're not David. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Fatality. You know, starting a podcast about theology and distilled spirits is whiskey business. (laughs) I said that with a straight face. This is Distilling Theology. Welcome back, men and women, adults and children, teenagers and adolescents. We are so happy to have you back. My name is Justin. Of course, as always, your bearded Baptist co-host of Distilling Theology, joined by none other than my sweet and savory friend and dear Presbyterian brother, Balake Courtright. Man, how are you? Good, man. It uh, it was sunny outside today for five minutes, and then it rained. But you know what? That's okay. Really? Because it wasn't because it wasn't uh, it wasn't frigid out. So we're starting to. We're starting to see new life coming from uh, where there was death uh, as a, a preview in the already not yet of the eschatological uh, new spring that will uh, come in, in uh, Christ's return. But uh, yeah. <laughs> well, well, it was not it was not rainy here. It That's has great. been a blue sky, sunny, 70 degrees all day. Cool breeze. No complaints. It was good. I, I took probably 15 walking breaks today at work just to be outside. My man. Because it was lovely. Absolutely lovely. Blake, what do we have in our glass tonight? What are we going to be sipping on this wonderful day of St. Patrick? Oh, well, <laughs> uh, in light of it being St. Patrick's Day, I posted in the Facebook group um, the uh, Lutheran satire, St. Patrick's Bad Analogies, <clears throat> because it's fantastic. <laughs> and It really is. It, it never gets old. And there's actually comments on the YouTube video, I guess, of people like, oh, yeah, we... They showed this in my uh, in my theology class, um, but like it's useful. It's great. It's memorable and it's funny and it's a great tool to uh, remember Trinitarian heresies and why we should stick to our creedal confessional language. But uh, in light of that, and in honor of it being St. Patrick's Day, we wanted to sip an Irish whiskey, which I, I think maybe we did last year. I don't know. I could look it up, but I'm not going to. So um, <laughs> we are sipping Tullamore Dew. It is an Irish whiskey. And according to their bottle, they were established 1829. And the uh, the Dew, the original legendary triple distilled Irish whiskey. This is, I'm reading off Whiskey Advocate here. It says, a Telemore Dew, they triple distill three distinct spirit styles of pot, malt, and grain, which are each filled into three different cask types, bourbon, sherry, and refill casks. Uh, and... Telemore Dew calls it the power of three. So I guess it's fitting, actually. Uh, but anyways, this is all. This is very badly a case of partialism or tritheism. But that's why we don't use bad analogies for the Trinity. Anyways, as master blender of Irish whiskey, uh, Kinsman has the freedom to experiment in a way that is impossible with scotch. Um, so he's got these, these cereal flavors, these different grain flavors. There's a lot of interesting things happening here. And I'm excited to try mm-hmm. it. I haven't had it for a while. I, I when I had it was down at um, the Dead Rabbit uh, Grocer and Grog in Lower Manhattan. It was a rainy, miserable day. My brother and I went in, 
and we ordered Irish coffee, which they made with the Tullamore Dew. And we ordered this like apple crisp thing. And it was this classy Irish bar. Our bartender was Irish. There was Irish music playing. It was warm and friendly and warm lighting. And it was just fantastic. Thoroughly enjoyed it. So uh, I'm excited to taste this with you tonight. What do you, uh, what do you notice as you get a tasting? Well, it's very fruity, very um, fruity and, and maybe biscuity. I was going to say, there's like, I, I definitely um, get that uh, malted cereal grainy thing yeah. going on there. Like, but in a good way, it's not a yeah, bad thing. It's just. Yeah. Yeah. There's, it's like caramel and toffee and uh, like sweet apple pie breadcrumbs or crumbs. <laughs> yeah. Um, plenty of peels. Yeah. Oh, here's a little more intro or a little more info rather on um, those notes that we had from the previous article. So. Pot still whiskey is made from a mash mixture of malted and unmalted barley. This whiskey will give a spicy, peppery characteristic to the blended whiskeys, as well as a creamy mouthfeel. And then we have malt whiskey, uh, which is made from a mash that uses malted grain, usually barley unless otherwise noted. With malt whiskey, you're going to get citrus and other fruity notes, such as orange and green apple. And the grain whiskey made from other grains other than barley, which could be maize, uh, rye, wheat, um, is light, sweet, and delicate. Grain whiskey will deliver cereal characteristics to blended whiskey and Telemer Dew has all three styles plus those three different cask uh, maturations which I think is a pretty interesting, interesting approach to then blend all that together the Dew comes from the initials of the general manager of Telemore Distillery oh. in the late 19th century named Daniel E. Williams Dew. good name I like that Yeah, it smells pretty good. I mean, for an Irish whiskey, it smells pretty, um, pretty much like an Irish whiskey, like you'd expect. Um, but it, that's not a bad thing. That's no. not a slight by any means. It smells no, I mean, tasty. Irish whiskeys, and I and I, I've said this. I stand by this. Irish whiskeys are one of the best entry points to distilled grain spirits, um, mm-hmm. because American yeah. whiskeys tend to be younger, harsher, um, and and again, harsh and smooth are not describers we like to use a lot, but I think they're helpful to people that aren't as familiar. So yeah, in this case, for sure. But it it communicates right smooth, <clears throat> meaning the alcohol doesn't bite, the flavor isn't overwhelmingly aggressive, and you can taste the sweetness of the the distilled spirit. So I think Irish whiskeys, for that reason, are just a good good go to. So you know what? Let's uh well, yeah, I think that's why some th- something like Jameson is so popular and doers oh, yeah. and things like that, which which is a you know, going over to the Scotch side and sure. things like that. So they're, they're, they're very easy to drink and very, um, yeah. like you said, smooth, which again, is not something we want to use that often, but it is in this case, definitely helpful. Yeah. Man. Um, it, yeah. Anyway, yeah, boy, well, let's go. Uh, let's do this. Cheers. more mild palate than I was expecting yeah it's not particularly strong um yeah very very moderate uh cherried peels for sure a little bit of spice some honey some vanilla cream yeah I'm getting but a little bit of that oak and vanilla for sure happening in there um it's very light and Almost, almost refreshing on the finish. Yeah, yeah. 
which is kind of like the same kind of sensation, almost that like tingly sensation of something minty, but it's not mint yeah. flavor at all, but there's a little bit of that tingly sensation in the mouth, that like brightness that comes from a mint or a menthol type thing. Well, well right. It's the same sort of sensation you get after washing with Listerine. <laughs> just, just, just not, not quite as harsh and it certainly doesn't taste anything like Listerine, but that, that, uh, that mouth experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it were. it's fine. I don't know if I would I don't know if I would get a whole bottle of this personally. Um I think Yeah, sure. I think the bush if, if I was at a yeah. pub and they then oh, they yeah. had like just a couple of basic whiskeys, if this was on there, I'd probably go for it. Then a little bit of caramel and toffee as it sits. Yeah, for me it's like it's a little bit too light. Mm-hmm. It could also be so my my sample bottle looked a little funky. I don't know if I poured a sample earlier if it evaporated a little bit. So I could also have some some incorrect things happening here from the sample. So who knows? But yeah, to me it's a, it's almost a little bit watery in like it I I want a little more flavor out of yeah. it. Um, yeah. Which again, isn't well, necessarily a bad thing if that <laughs> is where you're coming from. Yeah, I think because you and I now have such a a long history with different a variety of distilled spirits. Oh yeah. We're we're longing for something a little more, a little bit more exciting or um, powerful or flavorful. But if you're coming from like not drinking distilled spirits, oh yeah, or only drinking like let's say craft beer, like this would be an excellent way to start. You know, another you mentioned beer that makes me think. So yeah, like. A lot of the things we drink on here are more like a Imperial Stout or uh, Imperial IPA, double IPAs, all that kind of like really rich, flavorful, punchy, high alcohol content. This is much more like Guinness, where Guinness is rock solid. There's nothing wrong with Guinness, but it's not always going to be my uh, my go-to. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of longing for more and wanting something a little bit uh, greater than what we currently have, uh, let's turn uh, to some prayer here, get this episode started. Tonight we'll be reading from Piercing Heaven, Prayers of the Puritans, uh, which is published by friends at Lexham Press. And uh, it's different layout from Valley of Vision, different kind of construct, different compilation, but I find it uh, quite pleasant. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we jump into our subject tonight. This is uh, page 131, Mercy Upon Mercy by Richard Sibbs. Lord, reveal yourself more and more to us in the face of your Son, Jesus Christ. Magnify the power of grace by cherishing the seeds of that grace in the midst of our corruption. Bring us to humility by the way you show us our sin and weakness. And since you have taken us into the covenant of grace, you will not cast us away, though our sins grieve your spirit and remind us how far off we are. And because Satan tries to obscure the glory of that mercy through discouragement, add this to the rest of your mercies. Since you are so gracious to those who follow you as Lord, help us not to misuse your grace or lose any part of the comfort that is laid up for us in Christ. Let the prevailing power of your spirit be evidence of the truth of grace begun in us, a pledge of final victory for the time when you will be all in all, all yours for eternity. Amen. Amen. I love it. So good. Truly. Truly it is. Big time recommends. 
Well, speaking about good. <laughs> oh, man. Best transition ever. That was it. Man. We're going to talk about some good theology. Oh, yeah. We're going to get some good sauce. Um, yeah. Yeah, guys, we're going to talk about, again, to some degree, the doctrine of God. Yeah, boy. Spoiler alert. Already here first. Spoiler alert. We're uh, we're back at it again. Apparently, this is an annual thing in the springtime. We're just like, because <laughs> that was 2019, and then we did three episodes, and then 2020, we did seven, and, and we're about to release a series of episodes coming up, actually. Um, there's a couple things. So the episode that should follow this one is an interview we did a couple months back with Matthew Barrett about his book, Simply Trinity, which is excellent, and I cannot commend it enough. Uh, particularly to the laity in the church, um, but also pastors and, and theologians. It's so good. And uh, if this comes out the day that it should, then tomorrow, Wednesday, March 30th at 6 p.m. Eastern, we have the privilege to interview Dr. James Dolezal about divine simplicity. And I am so excited about that. Uh, so I figured we could do a little refresher ahead of these couple things that are going to be coming up. Now that interview with Dr. Dolezal will stream live for our Patreons uh, at 6 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow night. And we are planning to do some extended time after our main episode to do listener questions. That won't end up on the main show for at least a couple of weeks because of the schedule we have. So if you're not going to want to miss that, so head over to patreon.com slash distilling theology. Join us and join in on that. It's going to be a great conversation. But in light of that, I think I've been thinking a lot about the doctrine of God the last couple of weeks because I've been preparing for this interview um, and I reread all that is in God. And as I was editing Matthew Barrett's interview, I went back and uh, picked up an audiobook copy of his book, None Greater, The Undomesticated Attributes of God, which is the book he wrote at the same level, the popular level before Simply Trinity, The Unmanipulated Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, So I've been thinking a lot about the attributes of God. Well, uh, I think what's interesting is when Sproul would start teaching on the doctrine of God, right? He would always start out with two statements, apparently, um, seemingly contradictory ones, right? He would first start by saying that the practice was to tell them that on one hand, there's nothing particularly unique about the doctrine of God confessed in the Reformed tradition of Christian theology. Presbyterians, uh, particular Baptists, Dutch Reformed, other Reformed uh, Christians affirm the same attributes of God that Lutherans or Anglicans or Methodists or Eastern Orthodox or even Catholics do. In that way, there's nothing radically different about the doctrine of God. However, (laughs) uh, he also says what makes the Reformed faith most significantly distinctive is our doctrine of God. Now, it sounds contradictory, yes, but he says that the Reformed doctrine sets of God sets us apart from other traditions for the reason that I know that he says he knows of no other theology that takes seriously the doctrine of God with respect to every other doctrine. In most yep. systematic theologies, you get an affirmation of the sovereignty of God on page one of your text, but then you move right on to soteriology or eschatology or anthropology and so on. Um, and they seem to forget what they've said about the sovereignty of God on page one. He says, however, reformed theologians how, uh, self-consciously see the doctrine of God uh, as informing the whole scope of Christian theology. It's one of the reasons that Calvinists tend to focus so much on the Old Testament. We're concerned about the character of God as defining everything, our understanding of Christ, our understanding of ourselves, our understanding of our salvation, 
right? We turn to the Old Testament because one of the most important sources anywhere that you can find in the universe on the nature and character of God, right? So we take the Old Testament very seriously because it's such a vivid revelation of the majesty of God. Yeah, man. And in, I love that. In Sproul's lectures, this comes out so profoundly, right? Um, we get so much richness from Sproul's exposition, particularly when he talks about the holiness of God. But it's important to remember, as much as he emphasizes that and speaks about it, Sproul was a fierce advocate for classical Christian theism and our confessional and creedal statements about God. He was not... Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think sometimes it's tempting to hear him and hear him as saying, oh, well, holiness is the, the most essential thing of God. But then you read and listen to other things more broadly, and you know that he's not saying that like God is uh, one thing over and above the other attributes uh, because he held right. and, and championed these doctrines. And there's a, there's a clip of him before he passed away um, speaking with Stephen Nichols on uh, the Open Book Podcast where he talks about all that is in God by James Dolezal and how this book is a phenomenal work of theological retrieval. And it's something that is technical and challenging despite being a very short volume. So um, I'm a big fan of that. But speaking of those confessional creedal statements, uh, we both have our respective confessions and obviously they're very similar in many ways. And in this area, though, the the way that things are described is maybe a little bit different. The actual affirmations of the Westminster in the 1689 are hundred percent in lockstep regarding the doctrine of God, which is why uh, I have no problem inviting all these wonderful Reformed Baptist brothers on to speak to us about this doctrine, uh, just as I want them, you know. But but not because I'm like, oh, you're the best representative of a Baptistic view that I don't necessarily agree with, but I want to represent you fairly. But because I'm like, yes, this is ecumenical. This is Catholic in the true Apostles' Creed sense of the word, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I figured we could start there, read those, and and kind of just highlight and. Uh, maybe talk about the the distinctions between the 1689 and the Westminster in their articles. Uh, this is, we're going to be going from chapter two of God and the Holy Trinity. Um, I can mm-hmm. read the Westminster, you can read the 1689, and we can compare the articles and also talk about some of these attributes of God um, that have unfortunately fallen into uh, a lot of unpopularity in our contemporary era. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll jump right in. Um I'll start here with the 1689, um, chapter 2, article 1, of God and of the Holy Trinity. It says this, The Lord our God is but one only living and true God, whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any uh, any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, Um, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, Mm. the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. 
Come on. That's such a good statement. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I, you want to stop there. If you want to, yeah, let me let me read Article One to, from the Westminster because yeah. there are some differences, and I think that those are, um, not again not disagreements, just differences in expression. Yeah. So here is um, Article One of Chapter Two of the Westminster Confession. It's a little bit of a shorter article. There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being and perfection, a most pure Spirit. Invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will, for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, again, uh, in many ways, these two articles are essentially interchangeable. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they're, they're saying the same thing about God. Right. Ultimately. <laughs> I mean, the, the, there's there's a few differences, uh, obviously. Um, you know, for example, the 1689 talking about having sovereign dominion over all creatures. Yep. Um, oh, no, wait, that's down. <laughs> I'm way ahead of myself. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, talking about like the, the right up in the beginning, um, the 1689 talks about not being, not being comprehended by any but himself. I mean, ultimately, we're saying the same thing. Right. Well, let's carry on. I want to circle back to some of those attributes and and reflect on those. But uh, let's go ahead and do Article 2 next and see the the London Baptist 1689 and the Westminster side-by-side on Article 2. Okay. Uh, So the 1689 says, Article 2, God having all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself is alone in and unto himself, all sufficient, not standing in need of any creature which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things. And he hath most sovereign dominion over all creatures to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever he pleaseth. In his sight, all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. He is most holy in all of his counsels, in all of his works, and in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men whatsoever worship, service, or obedience, as creatures they owe unto the Creator, and whatever he is further pleased to require of them. Yeah, I was looking at the Westminster as you were reading that, and they're like, this is the epitome of those jokes about, uh, can I copy your homework? Yeah, just change a few things so it's not obvious. <laughs> so here's, uh, which, which is which is entirely intentional on the part of the Reformed Baptists, or the particular Baptists in London, uh, mm-hmm. right, penning the 1689. Um, like yeah, that, the, 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 yeah. Two, the two confessions are, 
a point of unity on purpose. Right, right. <laughs> we're, we're, we're trying to do everything we can to agree with one another as brothers in Christ. Yes. That's the point. <laughs> yes, right. So, so if it so. sounds similar, what I'm about to read, uh, it is. So this is uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter two, article two, which says, God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone fountain of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and hath most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them whatsoever he pleaseth. In his sight all things are open and manifest. He is his knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. He is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men and every other creature whatsoever worship, service, or obedience he is pleased to require. Of them. So yeah, they're exceedingly similar. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> totally intentional. And uh, the what the... London Baptist on Article 3 is a little longer, so I'll just read Article 3 from the Westminster and then you can hit Article 3 from the, the London Baptist here. So, in the unity of the Godhead, there be three persons of one substance, power, and eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor preceding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Ghost eternally preceding from the Father and the Son. Yeah, I actually uh, prefer, obviously, the 1689 here, not because it's the 1689, but because I like that they expand on this a bit. Oh, yeah. Um, it says this, In this divine and infinite being, there are three subsistences, the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, of one substance, power, eternity, each having the whole divine essence, yet the essence undivided. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son, all infinite, without beginning, therefore, but one God, who is not to be divided in nature and being, looking at you Mormons, but distinguished by several peculiar relative properties and personal relations, which the doctrine of the Trinity is the foundation of all of our communion with God, and comfortable dependence on him. Mm, yeah, that is really and good. Side note, if you're getting any sort of uh, uh, ideas about gender from the Trinity, go home. <laughs> right, that goes both ways. That goes to our <laughs> yeah. our friends on either end of the gender theory spectrum. Like whether we're talking about yeah. traditional gender roles or whether we're talking about egalitarian, like stop it. Everybody, stop. stop. Go home. It's that meme of the, can't you just be normal for five seconds? And the kid just like, mm-hmm. but that, but that's exactly what people do, right? That the Trinity, and we talked about this in our Trinity episodes, but Trinity is not a doctrine for our anthropological understanding. The Trinity right. is for us to marvel at the unity of our God. And as we'll get into next week with Dr. Barrett and tomorrow night in our interview with James Dolezal, which will air on the main show, like I said, a couple of weeks down the road, these doctrines say less to us to, to unravel the mystery of God, but rather give us the bounds so that we don't say untrue things of him, which is 
really essential and I cannot be overstated how important that is. Yeah. Well, Reformed theology is doctrine of God and its emphasis on all of his attributes, mm-hmm. not just the Trinity, but all of his attributes at every point. Um, yeah. Uh, it, it sets it apart from other Christian understandings of the Lord. Yeah. Right. That this, this incredible emphasis we have on the nature of God impacts how we see all of God's other attributes. Yes. And therefore, if we see God's attributes differently, it's going to impact how we see the other streams of theology, the other yeah. streams of theological thought. Uh, you know, our soteriology is going to be impacted if we really focus on God's sovereignty, for example, in his, in his, in his society, his total independence from us, not contingent on us. That's going to, uh, that's going to affect how we view our soteriology, for example. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly important to, 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 to look at these things. Yeah. There's a quote from uh, Stephen Charnock that is in James Dolezal's book, All That Is In God, that I think is just such a good like baseline here that, that really explains the ethos. And, and again, we'll get into this some more in the coming interviews, but it's important. And I, it's one of those things that like I need to be reminded of all the time. So I'm going to keep reminding other people. And maybe you guys don't need to be reminded as much as I do, but this, he's, Charnock writes, Though we cannot comprehend him as he is, there's divine incomprehensibility, right? We must be careful not to fancy him to be what he is not. So even though, yeah, we can't fully comprehend, the, the finite cannot comprehend the infinite, right? We, we can't fully grasp God and we're, we'll never, under, even in eternity, right? We won't understand that mystery because we are, we always have a beginning. We are contingent yeah. beings. We are not being itself. So right. we'll, we will always well, be in mystery, but we, we must be careful to not fancy him as he is not. Precisely. What, that's equally as important because what, what isn't God, right? He's not the God of the Mormons. They claim to know God. He's not the God of Jehovah's Witnesses or the New Agers or the sentimental God of Hollywood, right? He, he's not a lot of things and we focus a lot in this country specifically because that's where we're coming from on what God is not. We, how often do we create a God that doesn't exist um, and call ourselves Christians, right? (laughs) If you, if you talk to, there's a huge majority of Americans that'll call themselves Christians, but then they're going to describe a God that is not right. And that's the God that they focus on a God who is only love and nothing else. Right. Right. Uh, Or, only forgiveness and nothing else. <laughs> um, right. So yeah, it's it's certainly important uh, to distinguish what God is and what He is not. Yeah. Well, and that's right. We'll get into this again more. So I don't want to. We're we're like flying rapid succession through the doctrine of God because we had our ten <laughs> yeah. episodes already and our annual doctrine of God conversation apparently, um, <clears throat> and we have upcoming ones about simplicity and the Trinity specifically, but. Uh, in light of that, I figured instead of saying, oh, go back and listen to everything, we can refresh and and come back. Obviously, those episodes went in more depth, but speaking about those attributes of God, Matthew Barrett in None Greater mentions like a lot of Christians use this bad analogy of like God is like the pieces of a pie that add up to the whole. Um, or, you know, back to the, the Lutheran <laughs> yeah. satire video, right? Um, okay, the Trinity is like water and how... Water can exist in three different states. Oh, Patrick, 
That's moralism. <laughs> I remember watching that video with you and your dad uh, when I was visiting yeah. you guys. And it was just, we're all cracking up because it's so good. But mm-hmm. yet, like as funny as that video is, it's really unfortunate because those analogies are so common. And I was listening to a lecture from Dr. Dolezal at, uh, I forget which conference it was. I think it's the one that um, Richard Barcellus and Sam Renahan and, and those guys put on uh, several years ago. And he said, you know, in the, in the ancient centuries, like simplicity was just sort of assumed by everybody, like the Sibelians and the Arians, everybody and the Orthodox were all insisting that God is simple. And they were arguing their, the, her, the heretics were arguing their heresies on the basis of saying the deity of Christ or these other views don't adequately, uh, to their understanding, don't adequately uh, accommodate the simplicity of God and the singular being mm-hmm. like it feels like we're compromising that and so for the first centuries of the church tritheism was really not even on the on the table as an issue yeah. because it was so yeah. blatantly wrong and yet today uh dolezal argues that in our day we are faced with tritheistic tendencies or partialistic tendencies in the forms particularly of social trinitarianism um and the things like efs and and some of these errors errors yeah well Errors. Um, yeah, the 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 popular church, right? The non non denominational church, where all the big mega churches are, they are plagued with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely plagued with this stuff. They're impacted by the likes of like TD Jakes, you know, modalism, or uh, they, they they accidentally step into tritheism all the time without realizing it. Um, or in some cases, I think they definitely do realize it, but yeah. it, it's. It's everywhere, and, and so I think that's a I think that's a perfectly accurate that we have tritheistic tendencies in the West for sure. So, Justin, as we read these confessional statements, um, circling back to the beginning of, the, of these chapters, like we talked about, what are some of those attributes that that most captivate you as as a student of theology, as a Christian, as a man living trying to live carum deo before the face of God, right? Which, which of those attributes described, particularly in, in the first article, the confession, um, really captivate your mind? And then also, which attributes do you think from that list have been either willfully discarded and and like um, treated mm-hmm. as like anathema or just forgotten altogether? Which I know is a big, is a big question, but I'm curious to see what uh, what stands out to you from the from that list there. Yeah, so. Just to just to refresh, I'll just read the first few here because there's a few that are, I think, tremendously important and also greatly under attack. Um, the Lord, our God, is but one living and true God whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being in perfection. I think most Christians would say that God is infinite in being in perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible Without parts, this is important, without body, parts, or passions, or, you know, emotions as we understand them, passions, he's not moved by passions, who's only, uh, who only hath immortality, dwelling in light, and so on. Uh, and then it scooch, we scooch down to immutability, right? He is immutable. Is he immense? Is incomprehensible? He is eternal? So, easily easily in the modern church one of the most uh 
discarded doctrines is God's immutability, mm. his impassibility. He, he is without passions. All it takes is a quick glance at any modern worship song mm. <laughs> to Bro. know that, that we have totally disregarded that. It, it's, it's, it's honestly, we've done the opposite. We have taken God and, and in, the, in the modern church and we have made him nothing but passion swayed by his creation right how often do you hear god just is so desperate for you mm. he's he's just he's just he's just so desperate he needs you he he really wants you right <laughs> it makes you want to throw up yeah. but it, it, it's 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 shocking we've done a complete 180 in regards to that particular attribute for sure yeah. um and that's to me terrifying because it's got immutability his his immutability and his 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 impassibility that is one of the most significant for giving us comfort the yeah. fact that god is unchanging right means that his promises are unchanging yes. it means his love for his people are unchanging it means that our salvation is eternal because god is eternal and unchanging right he's not going to let us go because he doesn't change his mind mm. in that way come on right and so and and so to take that into, and and I think in some ways this this sort of uh, abandonment of 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 God's impassibility and His immutability has come out of a a lack of understanding of His sovereignty mm. over our salvation. Come on, if His if our salvation is dependent on us, and we make the decision, that makes God that opens the door for God to be contingent Uh-oh. on the creation. Come on. And if, if God is contingent on us for our salvation, well, what else would he be contingent on, right? You know, we have to, we have to do this in order for God to do that. Um, that is a horrifying place to be uh, and makes God entirely unsovereign. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's where I would start <laughs> with, with that. Um, and, yeah, yeah. And then what's one? What do you think? Uh, I Go ahead. Yeah, I'll come back to that other question in a moment. Yeah, for me, I think, um, looking back at the Westminster here, right? Infinite in being and perfection, most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, as you alluded, impassibility and immutability are under a complete attack. Immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory. I think... Honestly, I think eternality and incomprehensibility are right up there as well in attributes that are denied. Because what do we think of when we say eternal, what is often conceived is not what the theologians and what the framers of the confessions mean by eternal. We think, okay, mm-hmm. he started a long time ago and then his life just keeps going, which is immortality, but that's not eternality. And that's a really, really important distinction because even in eternity, even going on forever and ever and ever in the new heaven and new earth, we will not be, you know, we call it eternal life because it is unending, but we will not become eternal in that we always had a beginning. We are always contingent. And so the eternity of God, the divine eternity as an attribute is going back that there is no beginning, there is no end, and it's tied inextricably 
I mean, they're all inextricably linked, spoiler alert, because simplicity, all of God's <laughs> attributes are equivalent to all of his other attributes because all that is in God simply is God. God isn't composed of parts, right? And so these things, anyways, uh, his eternal, when we speak about God being eternal, though, we're saying he is assay, he is of himself, he is self-existent, there is no beginning, no end to him. And so he is outside of time because he has no beginning. There is no change because he is immutable because there's no change of states, which is what time is a measure of. So if there's no change, then he can't undergo time. And there's all these things going on. I think eternality is, is highly under attack though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, I think that's, I think that's important to understanding that we can't apply our understanding of our own attributes Right. On to God. Because if God really is eternal, that means that means time in and of itself is a creation. God creates time in matter in space. And so if that's true and God is outside of time as we understand it in our finite minds, our finite puny little tiny minds, <laughs> then then we cannot grasp right? We cannot grasp what it truly means to be eternal. We can talk about it and have an idea of what that might mean. But if we look, it says right here (laughs) that God is incomprehensible. Mm. He is incomprehensible. We cannot comprehend his essence and we cannot comprehend his nature. So being able to comprehend, I mean, one of the quotes I heard, I I forget, maybe it was Piper, um, who was asked, why is our universe so incredibly massive? Right? We look at we look at how puny we are in comparison to this massive universe and of course people start making speculations about aliens and other life and all these other things uh which I won't comment on but but it's it's a show of God's massive massive eternal majestic glory right it's a reminder of how puny we are compared to god right it's it's a way to remind us to put us in our place yeah right this universe is incredibly massive there's no way to comprehend how big our universe is and god is greater than all of it he created all of it he holds it in his hand yeah right how great god is (laughs) think Think about that. Think about how great God must be. <laughs> yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah. I I think I think you're absolutely right. God's eternality is certainly not even. I I think in many cases even considered. Right, because we we conceive of God to to back to the Charnock quote. We fancy him as he is not, because we, and and we make the mistake of thinking we can comprehend him as mm-hmm. he is. Right, and and. Uh, I was listening to an interview and it's like, what, what does God do? Right. Uh, he, he speaks to us like, like a father speaking to a baby, like baby talk. He condescends to an, to accommodate to our understanding something true about himself. But think about the chasm between that full grown father and the newborn baby. And now, now go from the finite to the infinite. Now go from the uh, material 
and the time-bound and the contingent to the ase eternal, self-existent, uh, uncreated, and unchangeable God. There, there is yeah. no chasm big enough to demonstrate the difference, the infinite, literally infinite difference between these things. And yet yeah. we think to make God in our image. And isn't uh, that exactly uh, uh, what we're doing? I believe I touched on it last time we did an episode on this, um, which I, I, I seem to remember doing downstairs, I think, in the dining room. <laughs> um, the idea that we, we can't even comprehend God's, right, aseity. We can't comprehend what it's like to be not contingent on anything. Right. Right? We, there, it, there's no way that we can conceive of that. Every every part of our existence is contingent on and dependent on something. Yes. Right. We depend on air. <laughs> we depend on gravity. We depend on heat. We depend on water and food and all these things. Right. We also depend our, our planet that allows us to be existing here is dependent on staying where it is and not floating yeah. off into space somewhere else. uh we are we are so so we are utterly contingent Mm. whereas god is quite literally the opposite yeah he he is totally self-existent self-sustaining there's no way to comprehend that not not a there's no way right i also (laughs) think it's really telling that both of the confessions start with the confession of the one god living and true speaks of his um what we might say are the more the the incommunicable attributes versus the so-called communicable and obviously because all that is in god is god because in him it is not one thing to be just and another to be merciful and another to be uh patient and another you know uh, these are not different things in god it's simply us experiencing different revelations of who god is in his fullness where in us those are very different things and they are states as as our episode with sam renahan you know, talked about, you know, uh, you give me a Snickers and now I'm not angry anymore. But if you take that away, maybe now I hate you. And and so we're, we're moved in these very flippant ways. Um, and God is not like this. Right. But the, the confessions start with his incommunicable attributes and move to the communicable ones. Right. And I think that's really important. Right. It, rather than starting bottom up and starting from our human understanding and looking up at God from our experience and trying to to filter God through our understanding. We must reverse yeah. that and start with the incomprehensibility and the incommunicability of these attributes that, that no creature will ever possess in any measure will never be immutable, immense, uh, eternal, uh, invisible, incomprehensible. We will never be any of those things. Almighty, most wise, most holy, right? We, by the grace of God, through his communication of his image to us, we can participate mm-hmm. in a way in love and mercy and in forgiving iniquity and in truth, right? We, we can participate in those attributes in a way, but we can't, we yeah. will never be immutable and self-existent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and that's one of the big differences, like you were talking about, the difference between putting on immortality versus right. eternality, <laughs> right? Right. That there are, there are many attributes which God contains that we, can in some ways manifest, sure. but in other ways we cannot, you know, we yeah. can be loving, we can be 
compassionate, we can be long-suffering, we can be lots of things that God is, but certainly not the way that God is those things. Right. Right. We manifest expressions of what those things might look like to some degree. God is those things. Right. God is love. Right. And he's not like 12% love, 12%, you know, he is entirely love. He is entirely justice. He is entirely, um, long suffering. I mean, he, he, he is his attributes. Um, and, and we get to see the expressions of those, uh, through his word and in our lives, uh, in the way that we experience God's love and, and mercy and other things. Um, went to that going to, to particularly in first John, right. Um, I'm thinking a little bit differently here, but this is uh first John one yeah. five. This is the message we have heard from you and from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him, mm-hmm. there is no darkness. And then what is, what does the apostle do here? He says, if we have fellowship with him, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right. And elsewhere we have God is love, uh, God is holy. And again, these all in God are not actually different partitions, they are just descriptions of God as we're looking at him from different angles, but it's all just yeah. what it is to be God, right? To, to be holy, to be loved, to be just, to, uh, to forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin, and yet not leave the guilty unpunished, hating all sin, right? To be immutable. All these things are just what it is to be God. It is who our God is. And so when people say, oh, immutability, impassibility, this makes God unrelatable. And we'll get into this yeah. with Dr. Dolezal, I'm sure, but this is one of the big concerns of, of theistic mutualism or this idea that there has to be, in order for God to really love us, there must be a genuine give and take of some kind wherein God is gaining something from the creature. But if he's to gain anything, then that means he was not infinite in being and perfection because there was a moment when his perfection was lacking if he had to gain it from something, if he had to gain any portion of it, then he's not infinite in being in perfection. And now we're yeah. not confessing the God of the Bible. You know, yeah. like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, which is a scary thought, yeah. but that's where, that's where these things lead. And that's why it's an important topic. That's why we talk about it a lot. Uh, and that's why you'll probably never hear us stop talking about it ultimately. Right. And as you alluded to at the beginning, <laughs> all of theology touches all the rest of theology. That's yeah. Rollcrow quote, right? If we, if we don't have our doctrine of God anchored and defining everything else that we believe, then we're not really consistently believing our doctrine of God. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I guess a good question might be then, uh, as we reach the, the thorax of this episode, (laughs) 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 the abdomen, bro, (laughs) whatever you want to call it. Uh, what difference does, what difference do these doctrines make in our lives? Practically speaking, right? Um, yes. Because this answer makes all the difference in the world, right? Not yeah. n- not even just this world, like, but in the world to come, right? <laughs> uh, unlike the pagans, we're not left to our own devices to understand what God is like, right? He's given us, he's given his people his word. He, he illuminates the word, uh, the spirit illuminates the word to us so that we can understand the nature of God, right? And he demands from us to know who he is, right? 
That's not a suggestion. We are commanded to know who God is, to, to seek after him, to love him, to know him, right? And so in, in keeping with God's character, right, he, he lovingly gives us his word, which teaches us about his nature and his character, right? He's revealed himself to us and he wants us as his people to know him, to be in fellowship with him, to serve him, to love him, to bring him glory, right? So knowing God, what does that do for us? It gives us purpose, gives us meaning. It, it, it allows us to have um, reason to understand why things might happen in our lives the way that they do, right? It gives us perspective to understand that, well, yes, life sucks right now, but I know that God loves me yes, because it's his nature. Yes. And so God has not abandoned me. And so therefore I can persist through these trials and these persecutions. Right. He sits on his throne and he does what he pleases. But in that, right, he cares for those whom he's created to love him. So, I mean, how hopeless would we be if we didn't know who God was? Right. We'd right. be lost. We'd be totally in the dark. Look at the world. Look in the, look in the condition of yeah. the world. Knowing God assures us that there is, um, what does the scripture say? There's a season for everything under the sun. Right. Yeah. Um, and it allows us to recognize that, um, that we didn't, that we're, that we're, that we're not an accident. We didn't evolve from primordial soup, right? <laughs> we are wonderfully uh, made in his image. And therefore we can, we can exercise some of these, um, these attributes that God has in and of himself, like love, right? The only reason we can love is because God is love, right? First John 4, uh, 7 and 8 talk about the reason that we love is because God is love. Mm. It's because God is that we can do these things, right? First uh, John 4, 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not, or who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we can, we can exercise these things that God has commanded of us because we know him and because we know his nature. So yes, uh, it makes a tremendous impact on our lives to understand these doctrines, to, to understand the doctrine of God and the nature of God. Hmm. Amen, man. And I want to go back to a couple of old Testament records as we're here and wrap up uh, Exodus 34, because iconic classic, the, the moment, right? Um, Moses wants to see the face of God and God says, you can't see my face and live. No, mm-hmm. uh, no, no sinful flesh can see the face of the Lord and live. And even the angels, as we see in Isaiah's vision in, in Isaiah six, cover their faces in the presence of the Holy one. And as the Lord passes before Moses, Moses has the tablets and here we are. Exodus 34, six, the Lord, or sorry, 34, five, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, or that's Yahweh, we, the scholars believe, from the Tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, or how those letters come over, right? Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, 
but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he continues on and Moses intercedes, but I also want to go to the end of the book of Job. And after all these things, and we've read, you know, we're all pretty familiar with Job. And if you're not, go read the whole book because it's incredible. But this is the conclusion to the book. Spoiler alert. The Lord has answered Job after Job has suffered all these things. And he asks God, you know, how did I suffer this, this and that? And, and God humbles him with, were you there when I laid the foundation of the earth? Do you know how I set the barriers that the sea may come this far and no further? And he goes through all these wonders and the doctrine of creation testifies so tremendously to God's creator, eternal status as eternal creator and sustainer of all things. But at the end of this in Job 42, Job answers the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And what a... What a an ending from someone who said, Lord, why is this happening to me? I have not even looked at a woman with lust. I am virtuous. I am a righteous man. From someone who starts in that place to say, I debase myself. I repent in dust and ashes for this is who our God is. The man who was righteous in his own eyes sees the righteousness of God and says, I have nothing. There is nothing good in me. Kelvin's Institute start mm. that way, yeah. talking about the only way that we're going to know or even consider God mm. is not until we once realize how pitiable we are, mm. how pathetic and weak and small and sinful and evil and wicked and treacherous that we are. That's the only way that we're going to even begin to understand who God is, right? So, guys, as you contemplate the majesty and the wonder of God, right? Consider what do you really know about him? What do you want to know about him? And frankly, if if you don't know him, we'd call you to repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe this wonderful, powerful, mighty, majestic, glorious, unchanging, steadfast God. Um, yeah, that, that, that would be our, our, our call and our challenge to you. Um, I don't know if you get, you got anything else. I'm... I mean, the only thing is to, to, in light of Job and in light of Exodus and in light of First John, yeah. why do these doctrines matter? What, what is the, the puritanical, right, in the non-pejorative mm-hmm. sense? What's the, what's the puritan, like, what's the so what? Going back to episode 43 with James LaBelle, the so what of of incomprehensibility and impassibility and aseity and eternality. These aren't philosophical abstractions. These are who our God is. 
And I love this quote, uh, paraphrasing from Dr. Dolezal, where he says in his classes, I hope that at the end of this class, you know God more, even as you recognize that you understand him less. <laughs> that, that you have a deeper and more intimate knowledge of the God that you worship, but that you recognize your frame as creature relative to the eternal creator and that our understanding of him, the more we study, the more we know that we don't know and the more we know that we don't comprehend yeah. and that we confess our faith so that we may believe, so that we may uh, understand, even if we can't wrap our minds around it because we can't, because our God is beyond human uh, comprehension. He's beyond our ability to wrap our minds around and yet he has condescended in his word and we have this perfect and, and amazing revelation of God in the incarnation of, of the Son in the person of Jesus Christ. The, the pinnacle yeah. of revelation, not in a book, not in uh, our, not even in the, the revelation, though we know him through revelation, but the, the pinnacle of that revelation is Christ himself in the incarnation, the word made flesh. And in that, we know him and we know him through his scriptures that he has given to us. Yeah. And so- let us dig yeah. into that text. And yeah, we should read these good books and, and we're going to get into some book recos, but we need to read his word and we need to be saturated in who God is and, and his accommodation to us. So uh, yeah, that's, that's all I got for yeah. this, this week, but the Lord is good yeah. and greatly to be praised. Yeah. I honestly, pity the, pity the soul who has no God like ours to trust. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. Right. Where God is just like a superhero. He's just like us, but stronger or smarter or something. And God is not like (laughs) us. We are made in his image. So there's analog. Superheroes superheroes are pathetic. They are. (laughs) But but so often, right? Isn't that exactly, we do exactly what the pagans do. We conceive of God the way that like the pagans conceived of the Greek pantheon, where Mm -hmm. they're basically just human beings that are more powerful and smarter and and don't die. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's, that's human history. All the gods are in some way, shape, or form like that. Yeah, man. You know, uh, the Greek gods, the Roman gods, the the Norse gods, the, yeah. um, I mean, you name it, the the Native American versions of spirits. I mean, yeah. they're all, they're all us in some way. Right. So. Well, to that end, Justin, yeah. uh, do you have any books that have particularly edified you on this topic? And I've got a couple, obviously, for myself, but if people have, have had their appetites wet uh, and obviously, we're about to feel, fill their ear holes with some really good content here uh, with with Dr. Barrett uh, next week's podcast and tomorrow night, our patron interview with uh, Dr. Dolezal. But yeah, yeah I mean, uh, honestly, if, if we're getting into the, the doctrine of God, the books that we've talked about over and over again, all that isn't God, right? How can we not recommend that? Simply Trinity is a, is a great one as well uh, to talk about the Trinity. Uh, in, in, in that particular nature of, of God. Um, and then, and then there's, there's a number of systematic theologies we could recommend, um, that are eventually going to talk about these things. If, if you can get through them, they're big, you know, um, beaky stuff obviously is, is going to talk about the the nature of God, the doctrine of God. Um, yeah. I I mean, what else you got to, to recommend? I mean, I was going to say, um, I think Bobbing's Wonderful Works does such a good job mm-hmm. of addressing, mm-hmm. on the one hand, the errors of deism, and on the other hand, the errors of pantheism, and how we're prone kind of in either of those directions, and how Christianity answers both problems. Um, mm-hmm. I would also say, in addition to those, uh, Barrett's book, None Greater, is a great lay-level introduction to the attributes of God, and simply Trinity to the Trinitarian nature and the simplicity of God. 
Yeah. I think both those books well, are really accessible. Bob Inc. also has a book uh, from the Students Reformed Theological Library just called Doctrine of God. Um, you can grab that on Amazon. It's like 15 bucks. Um, so that's another one. I mean, uh, you know, it's good. You know, it's going to be good. You know, it's going to be good because it's Bob Inc. Also, no, there, there is a work that I have seen quoted a lot and I myself haven't read yet, but it is on my reading list. Uh, but I, based on the people that are, that are commending it, I know that it's solid, which is, uh, and, and it's also an old dead guy. So, you know, we know that too. Uh, stood the test of time. <laughs> Stephen Charnock's The Existence and Attributes of God, which Mark Jones, PCA pastor from Vancouver, uh, is editing a two-volume leather-bound edition for Crossway that I think comes out this fall. So not saying it's on a it's on a wish list, but if it was, um, wink, wink, uh, that would be yeah. pretty great. So yeah, th- there, there are other good works. And obviously in our interview with Dr. Barrett, that'll be coming out, we ask him, he has some good suggestions and uh, we'll ask Dr. Dolezal as well when we hang out you with know, him tomorrow. Also, if, you, if you're into apologetics, if you're, if you're an apologist, right. Um, yeah. Van Til has some stuff in his mm. defense of the faith um, that talks specifically about the doctrine of God as well um, and how that's going to impact his and how it impacts his apologetic thought and how that can impact yours as well. Um, because yes. again, this doctrine of God is going to impact everything that we do yes. theologically. And speaking of that uh, and books, I do have this question that was posed by uh, a member in our group that I thought was really good. Also real quick, Pink has the attributes of God. Oh, I yes. I forgot about that. We have yes. that somewhere. Yes. I've listened to that on Audible uh, as well. Uh, also, John uh, Owen's Communion with God is such mm-hmm. a doxological, beautiful Puritan work um, about how we are relating to God in his Trinitarian nature, not as some yep. abstraction, but personal and related. Um, now, that said, here, here's a question that's directly tied to this from, from the Facebook group. And one of our one of our members in the group, if you're in the group, you can see this post. Um, by the time this podcast is out, it'll be a couple weeks. But uh, our member asks, what would you recommend as the essentials for starting a theological library? I gave a list of 10 books, but I'm curious, Justin, if you have any thoughts off the cuff. Uh, what would you recommend as the essentials for starting a theological library? Yeah, well, um, I haven't seen your list. So Good. Uh, that being that being said, uh, I would obviously recommend uh, first. I, I'd I'd probably start off with with introducing you to to Sproul's "Everyone's a Theologian," right? Yeah. To understand why all of this is important, right? And 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 the fact that you are called to be a theologian, and therefore having a theological library is important, right? Um, but gosh, if you're if you're starting a, a fu- like the fundamentals of a theological library, yeah. I mean, th- there are going to be some differences depending on your persuasion. Sure. As far as as Baptist or Presbyterian or Dutch or, uh, you know, heck, whatever stream of Christianity you're in, um, but you got to have a good systematic theology. At, at the very least, you got to have one. I'd recommend two or three. Um, uh, jump, jump, jump right in. Get Beakies. Maybe get um, maybe get Bovinks. Uh, either either Wonderful Works of God, uh, which is a great starting point. Uh, or the Reformed Dogmatics, even the condensed version, right? The yeah. single volume. Yeah. Um, uh, for a Baptist persuasion, you know, we have the 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 Covenant uh, theology systematic with uh, Owen Cox, um, which is also tremendous. Um, man, if if you're if you're building a theological library, you got to have some sort of um, some sort of uh, well, we're Calvinists. We have to recommend institutes, yeah. right? You can't My not man. have the institutes of the Christian religion. Uh, that's that's necessary. 
Uh, I'd also get some sort of uh, good commentaries. Yep. Um, you know, you got Calvin's commentaries. Uh, Spurgeon's done some stuff. Um, uh, there's a there's a bunch. Martin Lloyd Jones. <laughs> I yep. mean, th- there's there's a ton. Um, I'd also recommend getting some sort of um, Greek and Hebrew um, uh, books so that you can at least have references to understanding. Uh, uh, you know, uh, some sort of concordance that you, so you can understand, you can go back and you can look at, um, because sometimes that really makes a difference. Oh yeah. Uh, like if you're, if you're seriously studying, um, the context of something, it can be tremendously helpful. Honestly, get Logos <laughs> by yeah. the software. <laughs> I was just going to say, I know we're not, we're not, we're not, uh, we're not on the sponsorship, but Logos is great. I've had it open this whole time and I went yeah. to it to pull the quotes that I did in the scripture passages because yeah. it's just super useful yeah. and it's excellent. That's a good list. Yeah. Um, my list, uh, not to brag, but someone else in the group said, can we get this? Can we get a plaque of this or something? Never seen a better I feel like 10. it's going to be heavily Presbyterian. Shh, what? Maybe. All <laughs> Guys, right. So, listen. <laughs> so here, here was my, my list. If I was saying, if you're starting the, like the essentials for starting with the knowledge that you're going to expand it out, but like what, uh, and, and not necessarily if you're a pastor or a, or a theologian, but just a person interested in theology is kind of what I was assuming. So you're not, a, you're not a seminary student. You're not a pastor. First and foremost, and, and this might sound trite, but a solid Bible translation, that's more word for word, whether that's your NASB or your ESV. Cause a lot of people, mm-hmm. maybe you've read the NIV or the KJV for years, but like get something super word for word, uh, preferably something with a lot of notes from the editors of why they did it. Like, even if they didn't say why they do it, but like, okay, alternate text read this way. Like you want to have that information. I would also say one of the reformed confessions and catechisms. And honestly, if I had to do my pick, mm-hmm. I'd say Westminster confession of faith and the Heidelberg catechism. As much as I love the Westminster larger, I think the Heidelberg is so pastoral and practical. It's just super good. So say those. Yeah. Uh, as a Baptist, I'd obviously recommend the 1689. I do recommend the Heidelberg. I, I think it is worth reading. I think the Westminster yeah. is worth reading. I'd say get them both, frankly. Yeah, boy. Um, because I think it's best to be well-rounded uh, so that you can actually understand why you believe what you believe. Um, and not just believe it because of, you know, confirmation bias. So that's a thing. Um, but also, uh, there's, a, a, both a Baptist catechism and an Orthodox catechism, um, which are, are blends of the, um, the Heidelberg, but with Baptist distinctives. So both of those are from the 1600s as well. Anyway, keep going. So then, no, 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 those are all good things. Um, I also recommended having an accessible introduction to theology, something like Mike Horton's Pilgrim Theology, which is written contemporary, sure. uh, written to the lay audience, and written so like if you've never read a systematic before, it would be totally. It's it's a big book, but it's easy to read and it's totally approachable. Mm-hmm. Or you could be like me and listen to it on audiobook because uh, this this YouTube this episode was sponsored by Audible, but not really. I wish. Um, <laughs> and then my third, my fourth recommendation was uh, R.C. Sproul's classic, "The Holiness of God." It's a classic for a reason, and especially if you're growing up in the West, I think it will shake you in the in the best possible way. Um, and then I put Calvin in there. I said Calvin's little book on the Christian life. That book is so pastoral and so practical, yes. and it's like we can lose sight of that really critical aspect of theology if we get so heady and we lose the practical. So I think Calvin is really helpful there actually, which is ironic because people think of him as so heady, but he's so pastoral. And then I toss in mortification of sin by Owen, because if you're not yeah. putting de- sin to death, sin is killing you. So what are you doing? Where are you mm-hmm. at? 
mm-hmm. get some Owen in there. Yeah. And then to avoid the twin heresies of legalism and antinomianism, pick up The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson because it's much more accessible than The Marrow of Modern Divinity. And it covers that controversy, but it deals with these weighty questions and it helps walk that line and ultimately point you to Christ. And then I said The Wonderful mm-hmm. Works of God by Herman Bavink. And then I also dual recommended None Greater and Simply Trinity by Matthew Barrett because the doctrine of God is so essential and having two books that are laser focused on it is absolutely useful. And I threw in How Should We Then Live by Schaefer because again, mm. having mm-hmm. a practical like what, what, so, mm. so what, right? Here's yeah. our doctrine. So what? Yeah. And I mentioned maybe a few other Puritan paperbacks could make it in there. Calvin's Institutes. I think the lighter 1541 edition published by Banner is great. It's easier to read. Sproul's Everyone's a Theologian made my my shorter like secondary list. Packer's Knowing God and, and Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Um, but ultimately, I think that those 10 give a good breadth of theological mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. works. And while Horton's Pilgrim Theology may seem redundant next to Bavink, I think having that flexibility is good because not everybody's going to want to jump into a 600-page systematic, even if it's easy yeah. to read. And Horton's, yeah. a, Horton's a little bit easier to just pick up a chapter, where Bavink is really when you want to drink from front to back. So I thought that was a great yeah. question. If you're in the group, go answer it because I love to see what you guys have to think. Um, and speaking of in the group... <laughs> hold on. Oh, hold I, on. I, I would say real quick, I'd hold add up. to that list. Yes. Um, you're you're going to want to... You're going to, as you, as you work through your theological library, you're going to come to a point where you're reading through the systematics and you're going to be challenged on your covenant theology. And as we like to say around here, covenant theology is distilled theology. Oh, and, snap. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, and so that being said, you're going to want to pick up some works on covenant theology. Yes. Um, Pink has the divine covenants. Mm. Uh, Sam Renahan, mystery of Christ is covenant his kingdom. Not you know, man. obviously, I'm going to recommend the Baptist stuff since course, you're, sure. you've been throwing in all these Presbyterian stuff. Listen. Um, obviously, the Institutes, yep. uh, of course. Um, uh, Pascal Deneau's Distinctive, Distinctives of the Baptist. There it is. The Baptist coming to the there he is. He's sneaking it. He's like, <laughs> look at as many. He's like doing a salvo of Baptists here. Yeah. <laughs> um, Richard Barcellus getting the, the garden right. Yes. Just keep going. Yes. Send it. Yep. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and also Covenant of Works, um, oh. Confession and Scriptural Basis, also Barcelo. Um, but, the, but, uh, uh, but also pick up the other stuff, pick up, uh, like I said, I think yeah. it's best to be a well-rounded theologian. Yes. Um, yeah. it was because I was reading the Presbyterian and the Dutch stuff where I was really being challenged on what I believed about yes. covenant theology. And that's what pushed me to where I am now, uh, you know, much to Blake's chagrin. Um, but I, I think that makes me a more well-rounded Baptist as opposed to where I was before, uh, certainly, um, and, and vice versa. I think Blake being challenged uh, as a Presbyterian has led to him being a more well-rounded uh, Presbyterian and, yeah. and theologian. So um, I think it's great to get and also pick up a good pick up a good study Bible. Yes. Right. Yeah. Uh, the Reformed. Study Bible, right? Uh, Reformation Study Bible by Ligonier. You can't go wrong. Um, I know that there's a, a King James Heritage Study Bible, which is good. Reformation Heritage um, Study Bible is so good. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. ESV Study Bible is decent as well. Um, there's a lot out there, uh, but pick pick up one of those. Um, and then also I'd say side by side, pick up a just a reading Bible. You know, one that you can just read through um, a reader's version, essentially where it kind of gets rid of all the extra yeah. stuff and lets you read it just as 
it was written as basically in letter form um, so that you can actually sit down and enjoy God's word for what it is and not treat it always like a, 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 a you know, a study class, but um, to just sort of bask in his, in his word. So mm. yeah. Speaking Amen. of the group. <laughs> uh, yeah. Justin, if people want to join in on that question, where can they go? Y'all check us out on the social medias as you might expect we are millennials and so of course we are on social media um and we do it well because we're not boomers so <laughs> check us out on facebook uh <laughs> we have a page you can like distilling theology you can also join our group distilling theology where the discussion is being uh being had all the time yeah. by uh, a bunch of lovely saints um sages as it were yeah you know we almost had a we almost had it. We almost had our first uh, dumpster fire, but we put a lid on that because you know what? We have the best admins in the business. The admins, the right. plurality of admins. We have admins, <laughs> the plurality of admins. And so, yep. although if I get a migraine, so, then I'm a badman. So you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know what, Blake? Listen, because we're such good admins, that makes us Chadmins. <laughs> No. Okay, I'm going to stop beating a dead horse. Jo- join us on Facebook, also Instagram at Distilling Theology, Twitter at Distilling T. Uh, Blake, if they want to join the intimate family of Distilling Theology, please direct them to our address. Head over to patreon.com slash distillingtheology, where for the small price of $4.99 per month, that's one grande Starbucks latte. Uh, you can get extended conversations, early release episodes, live streamed. You get to see our faces and the faces of our guests in these videos. And tomorrow night, if you join us, March 30th, Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, you'll get to watch Dr. Delazal talk about divine simplicity, and you too will have the opportunity to ask the question. So join us. You're not going to want to miss it. Or if you join us at $14.99 per month, you'll get additional bonus content, and we've been doing more and more of that. And after your first three months, you're going to get an exclusive Patreon mug as a thank you from us to you for being a part of our family. And no matter what level you join us at Patreon, you'll get 10% off in the Stilling Theology online store, shopdistillingtheology.com. It's a pretty wonderful place to be, and uh, I'm a big fan of it, and I love it. And I wish that more people would join us over there, because we are also glad to be joined by our brothers and friends in the Society of Reformed Podcasters, a network <laughs> of doctrinally sound podcasts from a Reformed perspective, including Five Points Church Planting Podcast, Assurance of Pardon, Baptist Broadcast, Bobcast, Distilling Theology, Fast God Stuff, Fox Den, Grace and Peace Radio, The Particular Baptist Podcast, Reform Brotherhood, Reform Pilgrims, Restless, Small Town Theologian, Steady Anchor. And uh, that's the list for now, guys. It keeps shifting and changing, and it's wonderful, and we love the society. You can get all these shows, their entire back catalog. It's hundreds of hours of content, theologically robust conversations. Over you at might say the list is mutable. <laughs> Whoa, we are a mutable group speaking about our immutable, immense, uh, impassable God. But we are very passionate and stirred to passion uh, when we reflect on our impassable God because he's so, so good. Um, and now I sound like one of those songs we were teasing out earlier. But you know what? Sometimes it'd be like that. But if you want to avoid that, go join the society at reformpodcast.com. Uh, literally, guys, weekly content from all these shows. Super solid. This is the stuff I listen to. 
uh, and uh, when I'm not listening to audiobooks uh, or our own podcast because I do listen back to some of our earlier shows and on that note Justin uh, if people want more DT and if they're like hey you know I've been with you guys all this time but they kind of want to be nostalgic for a second because we all love our nostalgia uh, what, what are your favorite DT episodes just no, no particular number just what are some of your absolute favorites any episode with Eric, I spot, absolutely yeah. love. Uh, yeah, do be I facts. really, really enjoy our discussions with Sam Renahan, mm-hmm. uh, as well as with Carl Truman. Yeah, boy. Um, those, those are a blast. Mm. Um, you know, I don't know. They're they're all good, but but those ones stick out in my mind. Yeah, man. Um, uh, I I maybe it's this is just because. It's you and me and the memories and the nostalgia, but I really enjoyed those first episodes we did rough. together. They're rough. Um, they were rough. They're they were so crazy. <laughs> they were full of dad jokes. They were. We were getting our feet under us, and they were so much fun. They were. Uh, and they launched us to where we are today. So this is I true. really enjoy those. I look back on them fondly, despite them being a disaster comparatively. Bro, I really, really love them. It's um, a joy. Yeah. What I about you? That. Uh, I was actually just listening back to episode 43, So What, a, pr- a primer on the practical theology of the Puritans with Dr. James LaBelle, which was just a blast of a conversation. Um, I also really enjoyed episode 51, where we talked about my only comfort in life and death, the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. And as you said, hanging out with Eric's always a blast. Mm-hmm. Hanging out with Sam's always a blast. Um, I also really enjoyed our conversations uh, with Dr. Ken Riddlebarger, Dr. Truman. Um, our like theology proper episodes are always a blast for me. I can't get enough of it, yeah. clearly. Uh, and our most downloaded episode of all time to this date is the one with my pastor, uh, Reverend Mark Dunn, where we spoke about the Lord's Supper, which is mind-blowing. That was another episode where we tasted an Irish whiskey. We were drinking Bushmills 10. So anyways, guys, all that to say, you can join us over at distillingtheology.com where you can get these episodes. If you like this content, be sure to smash that subscribe button. Uh, But for real, uh, if you've been blessed and edified by our content, please leave us a review on iTunes and Spotify. We really appreciate it. Guys, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Soli Deo Gloria. 